I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Hi, I'm Jason Aaron. I write Thor, God of Thunder, and other books about dudes with big hammers. And you're listening to Nerdy Show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm Tony. Hey, I'm Brandon. I'm Trench. I'm Brian. Yeah, that's right. We got Brian Clevenger. That guy. Yeah. Co-founder of Nerdy Show. Oh, wait, what? And many other things. And the other things are what we're here to talk about. I didn't say how long I'd be here, so I'm already done. (laughs) Uh, well, guest starring Brian Clevenger. <laughs> yeah. We'll see him next year. We'll see him in 2017. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. This, this is actually a really momentous occasion. It's been 15 years to the day oh, since 8-Bit Theater first came out. That's the seminal webcomic 8-Bit Theater written by Brian Clevenger, launched his career, and was one of the cornerstones of webcomics in general for a really long time. Brian, yes. when I was in middle school, oh God, reading these, <laughs> how old were you? Because I feel like um, you're like my age, but I think maybe you're just a little immature. I'm not sure. No, <laughs> uh, I must have been when it started. I think I was 22. That was March 2nd, 2001. Yeah. Wow, that is some madness. No, I, I remember the first time I saw Eight Bit Theater. Colin showed it to me. I was at his house because he was editing something that we were, a video we were putting together, and he showed me this weird thing with Final Fantasy sprites, and I was like, oh, okay. That's <laughs> cool. Shitty. You, I'll, check, I'll check that out. <laughs> and, Why not? And you never looked this guy. This guy's going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I found out that this other guy that I met years later was that same guy, I thought, damn, that's weird. Wait, was that a coincidence, or did he you know? He really went nowhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was, that, was that a coincidence, Cap, or did you actually know who he was before then, that he was responsible for 8-Bit? I don't think I did, 100%. We'll say you didn't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I did. I don't remember. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird now that I do uh, Robo, I get confused responses from people who are like, oh, you did 8-Bit Theater, or... Oh, you did Robo? (laughs) (laughs) It's as though there's no link between like some sort of website that they could go to where all of your content is. It's it's bizarre that the internet doesn't have something like that. You'd think it would, but alas. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to talk with Brian about the legacy of 8-Bit Theater, some behind-the-scenes stuff, character-specific questions, and basically anything that comes to mind. But then we're also including another listener-requested conversation topic, and that is narrative RPG design theory. We'll get into the hows, whys, and wherefores of that topic a little bit later. But first, let's talk about 8-Bit Theater and uh, its 15 years on God's Green Earth. 
It ran from that previously mentioned date in 2001 to June 1st, 2010, when the epilogue was published. That's nine years and 1,225 strips. Good Lord. Just 1,000. a lot of my life. 225. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's 1,224 strips, and then there's an epilogue. This particular episode, it's not just conveniently timed for the 15th anniversary. It's actually a longstanding microsode request from Kaolis. He asked us to do an episode with Brian talking about 8-Bit Theater, and we never were able to get the stars to align to put this together. And then I saw the anniversary date was coming up and thought, God damn it, let's force it to happen. <laughs> the stars have aligned. Yeah. Forcibly. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very forcibly. Uh, microsodes are where we talk about what you want us to talk about for 15 minutes. And in this case, it's actually been double-sized because Barry I threw down and said, hey, you know what? I want to hear about that too. So I don't wait. think we've ever had a 15-minute microsode. <laughs> ever. No, the, I think in theory. There was, yeah, there, the concept is there, but it's never been done. Unfortunately, we're too good about talking about topics. It's, it's one of those that we're never so disinterested in something that we stop after 15 no, minutes. No, I think we're terrible at talking about topics. We just keep going and going. We're well, good at, at talking about topics, but the wrong topics. Yeah. <laughs> and I go on rant, so I shouldn't be here. Welcome to Tangents, the microsode. <laughs> Can we do a microsode about tangents? See, I'm starting. No, no. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> here, here, Brandon, here's your dilithium oh, crystal. Oh, with that crystal. Yeah. Oh. said... Epicness, my first microsode. I'll try to keep it short and simple. How about 15 minutes interviewing Brian Clevenger about 8-Bit Theater? Cal's provided some questions in addition to our own nerdy show questions. They're so all he's... multiple choice. That's fine. That, that is allowable by webcomic law. But we might be even getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. I don't know who you are listening to this. 8-Bit Theater, Brian, you're probably pretty good at the elevator pitch for this by now. You're good at the robo-elevator pitch. Or... That, that's a great theory. Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Having never pitched 8-Bit Theater before, so never sold anything. <laughs> uh, it's about the Warriors of Light. and Okay, no, wait. Do over. <laughs> but don't actually edit that out. What is it? Okay, so it's every fantasy story where there's a chosen warrior or a team of chosen warriors, and they're going to bring balance to the world, right? But these guys are not them, and they sort of screw over the people who were, and these guys are the worst guys possible for the hero job. They're monsters, they're awful, and it's funny. And it's called 8-Bit Theater because they're sprites from the first Final Fantasy game. Yes. Primarily. Primarily. Yes. There are some additional sprites. Which would lead to my first question of, how does one not get sued by using an intellectual property? <laughs> because it was the early days of the, uh, the internet and no one <laughs> cared. It was the Wild West, man. It was a wild time to be alive. You were in middle school. You didn't know this. I, I was in diapers. <laughs> I, I mean, you I were was also middle in middle school. Well, no, I, guys, I had a bedwetting problem. I might be a serial killer. It doesn't all matter. Goo goo, gaga, mommy, I want e- email, and then that was that. That's about the first time I saw 8-Bit Theater. I was wearing a diaper in my room naked. We're not going to talk about it, though. Well, wearing a diaper, but also naked. <laughs> well, I mean, Could've I was been... just wearing a diaper. He, Cap, had... he could have been wearing it on his head. Yeah, that's right. That's a very, very valid point. See, I was going to go Heisenberg's uncertainty nudity, and I, I, I appreciate where we wow. went instead. That's, that's too complicated for my brain <laughs> to handle right now. Brian, we've done some other Ape Theater-related episodes. In fact, we did an episode back in 2010 when the series wrapped that we'll link to on this episode's page. I haven't listened to it since we recorded. I don't remember what I we did. I have zero memory of this ever happening. It was the episode called The Brian's of the Operation. <laughs> I like it. You remember that unflattering Photoshop of your head being torn open to sh- expose no, your brain? I like it. 
Okay, it was good. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> um, there may be some repeats here because I don't remember any of that stuff. It was six years ago. It, it might as well have been another era. It might as well have been. It, it was another era. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so as I recall, 8-Bit Theater started when you were in college. Yes. And it was an assignment, kind of? Sort of. Uh, it was, I had taken at least one class on studying comics with this one professor at the University of Florida. And then he also was like a mentor or whatever for independent study courses where you basically made up what your class was going to be. And he would do some guidance and, you know, you'd have to write a couple papers and you'd get a grade. So I, I saw this as a great opportunity to make a comic myself and sort of um, one thing that annoyed me or not even annoyed me, but I was curious about in the like literary theory of, of studying comics was how much does any of this stuff actually mean anything to the creators because a lot of the people who were talking about comics at the time did not make them so it just struck me as a bunch of theory that maybe didn't mean anything in practice so the whole point of that independent study course was to make a comic and to see where decisions were made based on practical concerns of just having information on the page versus you know this circle symbolizes death or, or whatever so i, I cobbled together about 25 pages because I figured that's all I would need and all that would ever be made. And I started putting them online as I finished them because the professor was very, very bad at keeping track of his email. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere between page one and 25, like hundreds of people per day started reading this thing. So I just kept making more because I was like, well, you know, it's fun. And then it was thousands of people a day and tens of thousands. And then I was like, I'm quitting college. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what happened. Failing out of school, but man, that comic was successful. Yep. So it actually led to a financial decision to leave college because what's the point? This comic's doing so well, I'll never work again. Yeah, the whole point of going to college was to delay entry into the real world long enough to have some sort of writing career, and I did it by accident. Beautiful. Perfect. So did 8-Bit then lead to other opportunities that came later, or did you also pursue other things, I'm assuming, during that period as well? Mostly it was Ape Theater. That thing does not look work intensive, but holy lord, it took a lot of time. I did a few little things here and there. I remember writing a couple like quick ads for different companies. Nothing major, like just advertising. But I always knew that it was going to end one day, and I was like, you know, I am not qualified to be in that real world, having an actual job. Like I've looked it up, even now, I can qualify for a dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. There's so much in It's not a joke. Don't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Not out of you know humor, just sadness because oh, yeah. I'm even worse. I don't even qualify for a dish rag. Yeah, at oh, this point, wow. you've got a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but I need it for my job, As a for dish my dishwashing job. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I always knew that Ape Theater would have to end one day because I just can't stand a story that never ends. So about halfway through, I started thinking about what would come next, and that just became Atomic Robo, and then here we are now. Now, you, you said you had about 25 pages to start with, and if you're not familiar with the series, it ends with a gag that is set up very, very early on, and that was always your intended payoff for the series. You knew how it was going to end insofar yeah, you, as that. I have this dumb slash weird way of writing stories where I usually start with the ending. So even though I knew when I started at Theater that it was just going to be all oh, of this thing that's 25 pages or whatever, and here's some scattered jokes. This is also why you see a lot of just straight up Simpson quotes in the first two pages, because I just didn't expect anyone else to be reading it. So I was like, oh, it's funny. I like Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> but I was imagining, you know, even though I knew it was only going to be the 25 pages and go nowhere, I still was thinking about, well, how would it actually end? 
And I thought, and I always enjoyed, there's like this little aside in the old Nintendo Power, I think it was like the second strategy guide, specific issue they ever made, all about Final Fantasy. And it had this little bit about gimmick runs or something. And one of them was, like, oh, can you beat the game with four white mages? So I planted that in there in the beginning, thinking, oh, that's how it would actually end in three years if I did this thing to its completion. And then nine years later, that happened. Okay. Actually, that was something I think I misunderstood for the longest time. I didn't realize it was in three years, if I do it kind of ending. I thought like it was always going to be that way. And then at some point you're like, but I will suspend this story indefinitely for a while until I'm done with it. Oh, no, no. It was always planned to be, you know, sort of the capstone punchline to that very early setup. But it wasn't intended to be that long of a setup. About, I think around like year five or six, (laughs) I started thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be like the longest, dumbest setup to a non-joke ever. I'll just see how long it takes. Have you ever looked at any applications for the Guinness Book of World Records for (laughs) the longest setup? (laughs) For longest, most useless setup? No, I have not. I mean, they they give them away for just whatever. You could probably get that if you wanted it. Yeah, Yeah. let's do it. (laughs) Get Guinness on the phone. (laughs) I read on the Wikipedia that originally you had a plan to spoof other games as well. Oh, yeah. Very early on, I was thinking, well, you know, Final Fantasy is fun, but I could also do, uh, I know Metroid was going to be one. Uh, it still could, Brian. It still I, I know. could. Wikipedia mentioned yeah. River City Ransom. Yeah, I was, I was just about to say, I assume River City Ransom just because <laughs> I loved that game as a kid. And the graphics there are so rich for, you know, messing with. They really are. So hence, 8-Bit Theater, it would be a theater of all the 8-Bits. Right. Yeah, that's why it was called that. At what point did you discard that? I don't. I, I just never even started it, so I have to assume that the main thing was just taking too much time. I just didn't want to, you know, add to my workload. It exploded. It got big. We we all heard of it independently from very separate parts of the globe. Obviously, it turned into a thing where you, as a web comics author, at the beginning of web comics, were exposed to. I assume all kinds of like weird stuff. Like you were probably surprised by your success, and then the things yeah. that happened to you as a result were also probably surprising. Yes. What kind of weird stuff started happening to you with fans, with, I don't know, conventions, like inviting you and stuff like that? Stalkers. Well, luckily, this was fairly minimal for me. I've often wondered about how 8-Bit Theater managed to escape uh, bile, I guess is what I want to say. (laughs) Bile? Bile, like just internet hate, like how it did not get to be something that was focused on and attacked. It existed, I think, before that era of the internet where things were just Uh, constantly attacked. My theory was that it was just so inoffensive. It just kind of sat in its corner and, you you know, you read it if you liked it and if you didn't. It also had a tendency to make fun of itself. Right. Like, I don't know. It wasn't self-important. It was just there. The things Black Mage says are usually completely awful, but no yeah. one's going to assume that that's your authorial voice because he's always, you know, treated poorly for his shitty opinions. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I was, I don't know about worried, but I certainly had in mind, I did not want anyone to think that I felt that Black Mage was like, the true hero of the series. <laughs> <laughs> like this, this is the worst possible. This is the, the Raceland type character turned up to 11 or 12, and he deserves every terrible thing that happens to him, and you should laugh at him for being what he is. <laughs> wow. Which, which one of these characters is you, Brian? I want to know that. Uh, the, you know, there, there's a little bit of me in all of them, but um, Fighter is the one that really just, there's no thinking about it. It just happens. <laughs> <laughs> I still say sword chucks is a fantastic idea. It is. It'd look cool. I actually made sword chucks once. Did you? Oh, well, I, it took a lot of duct tape. 
and it was not a good idea. This was late middle school. This is probably about the time I was expelled from school and I was experimenting with, you know, sword ta- chucks, taping swords and knives to different <laughs> objects while walking around my neighborhood. So it's a dark time for me, but with a trench coat. Yeah, sword chucks are really cool. <laughs> the, the trench coat was an important component to that. But... I had a trench coat too. Kat. You remember? <laughs> I know, I do remember. <laughs> Florida is trench coat weather. Currently, yes, actually. Well, yeah, currently. What, what is it, down to 60 there? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be 34 tonight. Listen, Brian, I had wow, to wear a jacket wow, today. Is it, be 30, is it going to be 34 tonight? I hate all of you. <laughs> wait, Good. wait. I, we I, thrive I, on your hatred. Are you in Alaska? It feels like it. I grew up in Florida. <laughs> I'm now in Virginia, and it was like 32 today. That was the high. I hate you guys. <laughs> now I know which state you're in. Thank you. Oh crap! <laughs> I'm slowly get. I'm slowly pinpointing and triangulating. This is why Captain Poison. Hey, I didn't say Virginia, America, did I? That's <laughs> true. You could be the Virginia over in uh, Europe. Yep, or Mexico. There is Virginia, Mexico. I've been there. Virginia. What? Oh God! <laughs> so let's let's go to the questions that Callus wrote up for this. He actually has a line of questioning for each of the Light Warriors. Well, I'm here to answer all questions. <laughs> all right. First up, fighter. Was yes, he was correct. he was hinted yeah very correct <laughs> true uh, fighter was hinted, fighter was hinted at being something more than human guided by his pantheon being able to do things physically what could only be sanely described as magic like blocking the ground was there ever <laughs> I about that. he's really good at that was there ever a purpose beyond slapstick for fighter mastermind behind the scenes demigod no, he's just an idiot. <laughs> he was just too dumb to not know that he couldn't block the ground. So, you know, it's classic Looney Tunes right there. God with a, his a sword with a set of sunglasses on it. Yeah, Dr. Dr. Sorbopolis. <laughs> Way to pioneer the, the cool shades before the internet had any idea that was going to be anything. So I'm a trendsetter. You are. The lovable black mage who Kayla says, <laughs> personally, I want to be him. Oh, my God. <laughs> you want to be the subject of abuse? I'm glad this question came up after we discussed how Black Mage is the worst person alive. Yeah. Get this kid on a watch list. Well, he would be fun to, to, like, it would be fun to have that kind of destructive power. To once a day be able to Hadouken a forest away. Yeah. <laughs> and drain love from the universe. Yeah. But, you know, ultimately, that would be a sad, empty life. Don't do it. Don't, don't do dark magics, kid. So his question for Black Mage is, is Black Mage human? Disregarding the fact that non-Euclidean geometry exists and we are capable of being drawn as such. I think so. I never did resolve what was going on with looking at his face and it terrifying you. But I think he's just a person. He's, maybe he's just ugly. I don't know. Early on, there's a little kid who sees his face and he has trouble waking up. That was not just because of how Black Mage like hit him with magic or something, but because... He saw his face. Was that, was that what was yeah, going he, on there? Yeah, because he's so twisted by dark magics. So, I don't know. He's just weird looking. That poor beset upon orphan. That poor sad onion kid. <laughs> Red Mage. Is it Red Mage himself that can change his attributes? Or is it his character sheet that holds the power? He compares this to Phylactery, which I had to look up which is a small leather box containing Hebrew texts on vellum worn by Jewish men at morning prayers as a reminder to keep the law. I have no idea what's happening right now. <laughs> I have literally no idea what you just said. Go right, right, with wait, your wait, answer. That's a deep let's, cut let's, question. Let's, let's back this up. I don't think that it worked, the changing his stats. I, I think that much like Fighter, French Major is just really stupid. And 
he thought it was doing something. Because, I mean, if you if you read the comic, like, Red Mage's plans never, ever, ever, ever work. No. I have not read the comics. I don't know that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought you were a middle school super fan. I was. <laughs> he just doesn't read. Yeah. He looked at the pictures, and he interpreted oh, yeah, his no, own yeah, story no, from I, them. I saw every frame, and I was like, pretty, but I never read the text because <laughs> I hate reading. So I, like, I kind of got the gist, but was really confused sometimes. It, it, he's the only fan of your artwork on record. <laughs> yeah. I love the pure artistry of the pixels frame by frame. The, the text is just secondary to me. That's fair. <laughs> and finally, Thief. As an elf, I dislike him from the start. I'm a speciesist. But his Orzhovic charm gets me at times. Elves are oftentimes magical. Does Thief have any magical skill? And are his stealth slash steel skills given bonuses for race? Oh, I think they must have had a bonus for race. I think that explains where it came from. Uh, yeah, Ape Theater, officially racist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think he was magical. I just think he was really good at what he did and uh, a turbo asshole. <laughs> turbo, <laughs> turbo asshole, good move. <laughs> he stole his own class change from himself in the future, so. Yeah, I mean, how do you do that? I don't know. He's just really good. Stole everything that wasn't nailed down and then stole the Or nails. on fire and then stole the, the, those things. Yeah. Brian, at this point, it's been a long time since Ape Theater, and it's been about like six years. I assume you're more recognized as the author of Atomic Robo at this point. That's changed, right? Like you, you are no longer the Ape Theater guy. You're the Atomic yes. Robo guy. It, it's more. It happens rarely these days that it's like, oh, he's the Ape Theater guy. But yeah, it still sort of happens. You'll always be the Ape Theater guy to me. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, in your heart. In his 8-bit heart. I was going to say... In his diaper. Another <laughs> part of my body. But yeah, in my heart's good. God damn it, Brandon. <laughs> Do you have any regrets? Is there anything you wish you could have done differently with 8-bit theater? <laughs> oh, yeah. Never got sued, so no regret there. <laughs> um, no, I had a lot of fun. It was a good experience. I uh, got a lot of practice. Uh, a lot of exposure, but not in the uh, kind of way where I get ripped off. It's actually surprising. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Actually, to answer the Sue question from before a bit more seriously, I think a big part of that is that we just never sold anything, really. We, we were doing t-shirts for a while, but then with the art from the game, but this was that would have been very early on, and uh, we switched over to like you know original hand-drawn art. So yeah, I think we were just too small-time for Square to care. It would have cost them more in legal fees than what they would have gotten out of you. Yeah. Look at this rube. Let's bleed him dry. <laughs> <laughs> We're a multi-million dollar company. This kid's got a grand. I want it. <laughs> I got a random question. It had been a while since I'd read any of Ape Theater, so I What I want to I got a question. Why aren't okay. you reading it all over every day or at least once a week? Boy, that's that's tough. I don't have a good excuse, I suppose. No, you don't, do you? No. When well, he has Alzheimer's, he will, definitely. Okay. I'll be <laughs> looking forward to that. <laughs> but in doing so, I came across a page that I'd forgotten that was quite odd, which is uh, episode 25, Temp, I Must Be Dreaming, which was followed by episode 25, Real, or something like that. It's a, it's a single page of Black Mage racking up some mad points. It's just this one image. What, what was that? What is that first episode 25 that's not a real page? Hell, I don't know. I gotta look it up. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great if he's like, I never did that. <laughs> like, I didn't what are you put talking about? I've never seen this before. <laughs> that hitchhiker died 20 years ago. <laughs> 21, 22, 23, 24, 25? Oh. <laughs> Punctuated by cat. What's up, Charlie? Oh, wow. 
Oh, okay. Now, now I'm getting it. That crazy image is from Bangaya. Oh. It's this wild 2D shooter where that image on that screen that you see is pretty average for any moment in the game. Oh, it was a Dreamcast title, right? I think it was originally Dreamcast. I know it came out on some other systems. I think that like there was a Xbox Live Arcade version a few years ago. Anyway, the missiles there are your own super weapon. And the more bad things that are near you and the closer they are to you, the more you shoot. So it's this really fun risk versus reward mechanic that just constantly happens. And everything on screen is shooting at you constantly, so you really need to shoot that super missile as, as often as possible. But you also have to wait to get as much danger around you as possible to have the biggest explosions possible. And yeah. So um, what I imagine happened here is that I probably stayed up very late playing the game. And <laughs> <laughs> had no update available. <laughs> so I just had this on there. Well, perfect. Okay. What I thought was frustrating at the time, but it's turned into one of my favorite moves out of the comic, is what you did with Black Belt. Because he was a character that was, was, I was very fond of. He was, he was a perfect foil to fighter. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, then he was he, dumb, but in a very different way. Yeah, and then he died. And then yeah. the fans wanted him to come back, so you brought him back. Yeah, and only he, to kill him again. <laughs> and again. What led to the decision to troll your fan base like that? Uh, did you read any other page? Because that's all this comic does. It takes 1,224 pages for what is maybe a 100-page story, and every single major battle is a huge letdown or anticlimax. Yeah. In the best possible way, nine times. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I should hope it's entertaining, but it was certainly meant to um, evoke uh, internet rage. Not rage, just be like frustration, but that you enjoy it also. Gotcha, tantric. I guess that's one way to put it. Very sensual, yeah. <laughs> I also seem to remember a, a news posting from you, something to the effect of "Now stop emailing me about it." <laughs> Because everybody yeah. wanted to tell you how you could bring back Black Belt back to life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, all right, here, here, here you go. You came back. So did you have a really intense dialogue with the fan base while the comp was coming out then? I mean, there were forums or they could get to me through email. That was about it. And yet you responded to them telling you all the ways that character should come back. Well, I mean, like Tony said, it was a very popular character. And uh, he did die very ignobly. So... As popular as the comic was, there was this recurring thing that would happen where at least once a week, somebody would tell me their brilliant idea that I've already heard a hundred times and that I had already decided not to do before I heard it the first time. But this so, time is know, going to be different. Yeah. But I mean, on the one hand, you know that those readers who are emailing you don't know that. Like mm -hmm. they're just enthusiastic. and they, Oh, I had this idea. And that's fine. And I get that. But it is a little, it can drive you a little insane. You hear the, the complaint very commonly on uh, interviews where, you know, you ask the same five questions over and over, like on a, at a press junket or whatever, and it drives actors insane. So that sort of thing. Well, here's a question I believe you used to get a lot. So, so let's <laughs> ask it. Yeah, go for it. But, it's uh, been a while. <laughs> <laughs> People, as I recall, were hounding you about the possibility of print versions oh, yeah. of 8-Bit Theater. And at one point, I recall you answering it as though it was actually being considered in spite of everything else. But I remember the biggest problem was the fact that they were never designed at a scale that would make for any kind of quality print, not to mention the copyright. Yeah. Copyright aside, every single image you're looking at on the online, on the line, on the Internet. here. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm, I'm in my 30s. I, I'm old. 
Um, <laughs> We're all in our 30s. <laughs> yeah, as far as some. What's this game? That's the Alzheimer's. All right. <laughs> it's uh, 72 DPI. That's the master file. Oh, wow. <laughs> you could use a dot matrix printer. And... Yes, that, that's how I get this price. <laughs> <laughs> then he sits there with a, with a pair of scissors and some construction paper to put them all together. Well, how would you do it, smartass? <laughs> so you're blossoming into a young adult now. Your creativity... Still looking forward to that puberty. <laughs> yeah, your creativity is starting to flourish. Do you think maybe it's time to become a little bit more mature, branch out, and maybe perhaps create, you know, 16-bit theater and just upgrade it a little bit just become you know become come that much more creative with your career because you've got nothing else going on this you might true. as well but remember how i said about the question that you get every week <laughs> <laughs> i did it guys i did it i nailed the question that's been asked all the time that's all i wanted to do you did yeah i used to get that all the time especially towards the end of the comic it was like oh you know you can just keep on going it's called 16-bit theater and you can use the Whatever, Final Fantasy 2 or 3. 64 bit theater. Yeah. I was like, uh, no. A lot of kids would email me, oh, can I do 16 bit theater? I'm like, you can do whatever you want. Have fun. <laughs> I, if we Google search that, I wonder if someone has done that, Cap. I'll check it out. What I was, what I was angling at with the um, weird question about the print versions is I was surprised you were ever considering it. And how long did that last? It, well, well, here's the thing. Everyone knew that if a print version was made, I would make a shitload of money. Mm. So there were a couple efforts at that. One would have been to completely hand draw every single page, uh, getting different artists to do it. So you wouldn't have to wait for one person to finish a thousand pages. Another one was uh, I would remake all the pages using effectively hand drawn sprites if you will they, they weren't like blocky but it wasn't like that flash animation mm -hmm. you know where i could move here's a limb here's an expression and i would have to remake all the pages by hand uh, which would be slower but you know ultimately calculated to be worth it and uh we just never did that is a ludicrous amount of work yeah it is i feel like that would have led to eventually being sued <laughs> if you started making a ton and squares like well but here's the thing once you remove the actual video game sprites there's not enough Final Fantasy 1 recognizably in there. Like, I would also you know, change whatever needed to be changed. Oh, see, I, th I thought you were just literally going to hand draw sprites, <laughs> like little squares, no. put them together. No, no, no. Okay. That'd be neat then. You should do that. You should get on that. Uh, we'll do that for a big Kickstarter someday. <laughs> the 20th anniversary. <laughs> Actually, that's funny. If they did have a Kickstarter infrastructure six years ago, we probably would have done that. That's true. I mean, if you were legitimately considering those insane options, there would have been no reason not to try to get all that money in advance. Yeah. You're quite good at that now, so... It worked out all right. Yeah. <laughs> in answer to the 16-bit theater question, it is a thing that happened. Oh. It's on the nuclear power forums, and uh, there's a couple threads dedicated to it. So that it is literally, though, still on his site? Weirdly, the primary host URL is... Looks like wrestlingsrumors.tripod.com. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Yeah. Is well, it, I was expecting Geo still... GeoCities or Angel Fire. Angel but... Fire. I was going to say, Tripod's still a thing? Well, the hosting still worked. I pulled up a page. Is it the same kind of format? Where uh, it's... Yeah, kind of. It's not as well done, if you can believe that, but it is 16-bit era sprites of the same kind of characters. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Read that is one. definitely something that passes the general definition of a comic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey. I just came across the page where uh, Black Duck got turned to stone. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> they put him in a, uh, they put him in a, like a, 
Radioactive waste dump. Oh. <laughs> this is pretty funny comic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the sound of listening to him enjoy his own work. <laughs> I can't believe I. Wrote you know, this. I, unlike you guys, I don't read through the whole thing every week. So this is a bit of a treat. This is fresh. He's, he's going to get to the armoire of invincibility, or he might be remembering oh, I don't, it soon. Don't spoil it. <laughs> no spoilers, please. You know they never did find that armoire. No, they found the armoire. They didn't find the armor. Oh shit! Sorry, Brian. Oh god damn it! Well, I'm gonna. I, okay, I'm not done. I'm. I'm not gonna read it. Oh, I thought we were gonna have several hours of Brian <laughs> reacting to his own writing several years later. Occasional so. giggle. Occasional. <laughs> I remember yeah. a few animated web versions, but I don't know if that was done by Brian or some independent person. Honestly, I don't no, know. No, all the animated things were done by people who just wanted to animate. Most of them, to their credit, would uh, email me saying, oh, am I allowed to? Will you let me? And I'm, yeah, whatever. Have a good time. Better they seek permission and you give it than to be angry about it later. Yeah, I suppose. They're good kids. Those big theater fans. Good kids. They were, like, they were like in their 40s, I'm sure. Well, now. I know, yeah. They were all in middle school like you with the diaper in on their your diapers. In their diapers, yeah. As most <laughs> Not all of them wore them on their head. head. Some of them knew where to wear their diapers. Some of them. <laughs> Talking about yourself again, aren't you? Maybe. Shut I'm up. Very proud. Princess Sarah just used amnesia dust. This is this is an amazing unintended side effect. <laughs> the giant came back. <laughs> Squishies. Oh. You've just rekindled his love for life. Oh man, the sulk. I forgot, <laughs> I forgot about my knockoff heroes. You guys can keep going. I'll, I'll... Just be over well, there. He's busy now. Well, this next topic is super specific, Brian, and it's 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 all on you. Uh -oh. The the topic is this is a microsode for Joshua Westfall, narrative RPG design theory with Brian Clevenger. Here's the breakdown. On January fifteenth, twenty fifteen. Brian made a post on his nuclear power website entitled The Highest Possible Nerd Alert about the approaching release of the RPG Exalted 3rd Edition, which I, being Joshua Westfall, would probably have classified as the lowest possible nerd alert, but to each their own. Regardless, Brian's post was a small rant about the state of current RPG design, specifically narrative RPG design theory. So basically, he would like you to elaborate on that concept so before we kick this microsode off i think it's important to for the listening audience to kind of be briefed on what all that means yeah, i need to be briefed on that i didn't know rpg design was a theory you are still on diapers <laughs> yeah well, I'm, I'm on pull-ups now i'm a big boy oh, now. well that depends damn it sorry I, I, it was yeah Okay, I'll see yes, myself Please enlighten out. me as to RPG theory. Well, the context of the, of the article was that... Wait, 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 hang on. I just got to King Steve's kick-ass bridge. <laughs> <laughs> God, I love King Steve. And his right-hand man, Gary. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the coffee stain. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, <clears throat> all right. Uh, so this, this post that you wrote, Brian, was about the third edition of a game called Exalted, which I believe you liked back in the day. Kind of? Yeah. Uh, I have complicated feelings about all of Exalted. Well, that was evidenced by this post, which we'll, yeah. we'll link to this post on this episode's page. Let me, let me actually just read what you wrote about Exalted here in that article. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if it's anything like what you're reading now, you're going to enjoy it. You uh, enjoy past Brian's he's, writing. He's got a point. Only when it's funny, though, I think. Well, yeah. this is a bit serious. Exalted is a game known for its piles of dice, its array of modifiers, and the hours it can take to churn through very little combat, but it was a pretty neat game back in 2001. 
I certainly wasn't expecting anything so big and weird out of White Wolf. All that Udon artwork, all those crazy non-Euro fantasy ideas crashing into each other. Damn, what a breath of fresh air. Sure, it was a little clumsy on the mechanics, but we've been playing the storyteller system for years, so it wasn't so awful. Second edition took the property in some strange and complicated territories, so much so that the third edition's pitch relied heavily on fixing the many excesses of the second edition, both as a game system and as a setting in which to play games. So there was that set up, and then a description about how this third edition, which you speculated would come out in late 2015, but in fact is still not out yet and was last slated for winter 2016, Jan, Feb, March. So they've got a really narrow I, window of time to pull this off. I think there's like a PDF version that is out to backers. Because it was kickstarted. Kick yeah. I did not back it because I'm just I'm done. But I'm pretty sure that there is a playable game out there, at least in PDF form. Okay. Well, so I think they made it. I think they, they just did make it in 2015. Your primary concern was the unnecessary mechanical complexity of the system. And you mentioned something that you said, so-called story game systems, which is, I think, right. what Joshua is talking about here. Um, right. So what's um, it all about? Okay, so when most people think of tabletop role-playing, they think nerd, but they think D&D. Because, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, that was the big one. And then that sort of set the tone, you know, going forward in, into the modern day. Mm-hmm. The basic philosophy of a D&D type system is what uh, I'm just going to term simulationist. I don't, don't know if that's official or whatever, but that's what we're going for because I'm talking. And what I mean by simulationist is that the rule system is concerned with simulating physical reality as we know it. Things obey the logic of the real world, plus there's dragons and magic and whatever thrown in. But like, you would throw a fireball and you wouldn't expect it to be made out of ice. Like, it is supposed to be simulating. The problem there is that it makes a lot of rules. It's the real physical world is filled with physics and the universe is a vast calculating machine. And the, the human mind does billions of calculations a second. And, you know, you just can't play a game like that. So you make all these abstractions anyway in these games. You know, hit points don't really exist. You don't hit a guy with a sword in real life. And he goes, oh, no, I'm down five hit points. What, you don't? Well, I, I do, but like most people don't. Okay, I'm with you. Thank you. Uh, so <laughs> the story game philosophy is that uh, we no longer structure the game to simulate reality. We structure the game to simulate, say, laws of fiction or laws of narrative. These are much easier to simulate because we all sort of have a sense of fiction. We've all seen something like Star Wars or Indiana Jones, you know, these very pulpy things where clearly it does exist in a reality very much like our own, but there are just these different ways of, you know, like, like things that can happen in a Star Wars film. It shouldn't happen, like these amazing coincidences or perfect bullseye shot that just in reality you're like, yeah, it probably wouldn't happen. But you roll with it because it's, it's fun and that's the way stories work. You don't have a problem with that. I personally have been role-playing for, oh my God, since I was in middle school, we were also wearing diapers on my head. <laughs> and Nerds. back then, you know, all we had were these incredibly mechanically intensive rules-intensive games. The Palladium system, the D&D system, and so on. And I spent many an hour pouring over supplements and catalogs and stats and dice and gear and all that jazz. Now I am a very old man, and I don't have time or patience or energy for any of that sort of thing. So I'm much more interested in a game that can kind of just be picked up and you can kind of figure out the rules really easily and quickly as you play. And it's a lot of fun and intuitive. And that's what I want to see. 
exalted to get to the actual point. It always existed in this weird space between the two. It was published by White Wolf, and they use what is known as the storyteller system, which is itself sort of a hybrid between simulationist and narrative or story game focused play. But this thing came out, the storyteller system, in like the 90s, and so it was like an evolutionary step. It was like uh, the Bigfoot to what would eventually be whatever Bigfoot's going to evolve into, superhuman. (laughs) I'm not a biologist. (laughs) Ultrafoot, obviously. (laughs) Ultrafoot, sorry, yes. How stupid of me. (laughs) Part of the problem with the Exalted System is that it's just this huge, epic setting. You play these demigods with incredible power. And a lot of this comes down to just a huge list of powers and different variations on those powers and different ways you can tinker with them. And so there's a lot of rules and a lot of exceptions to rules and a lot of dice rolling. And that is fun, but you could accomplish a lot of that with just some really simple narrative rules, given that in the last five years or so, there's been a real push in, uh, if you will allow me to say, the technology of story games between the fate system, fate accelerated system, Play by the Apocalypse, Fiasco. I mean, there's, I, I'm leaving out at least a dozen others, but those are probably the most popular. Where the way that we put it with the Atomic Robo game is that the designer of the game, Mike Olson, he was a huge fan of Champions. This was, if you're a role playing game nerd at all, you know that Champions is very simulationist. You practically have to be a math professor to even start to make a character. It will take you hours, possibly days because there's so much number crunching and, and so many, there's equations. There are goddamn equations. <laughs> Holy that, fuck. That sounds truly awful. Yeah, it is. But, you know, some people really enjoy it. I mean, if you but, have the uh, time. Math professors, obviously. I assume if you yeah. don't work at all, you yeah, can do that. If you're a middle schooler with diapers in the right place, you can handle this. Yeah. But um, Mike Olson. So he was a huge fan of that. But then he realized when he found Fate, the Fate system that uh, we use in Atomic Robo, uh, he helped to... Uh, turned Tom Grobo into. It was like, you know, fate does with language what this does with numbers. And once you make that connection that these rules aren't really rules in an interrupty sort of way, like, you know, you do something in the game, you're like, oh, you know, got to look up this rule. Since the rules are so much more based on language rather than numbers, you can kind of intuitively get through it. You don't really need to reference the rules as much. And even if you get it wrong, because we're all sharing a language, you know, you can get close enough to what should have been the right way to doing things. Exalted is such a big, complicated thing with such vast powers being flung around. It lent itself very well to that sort of revolution in its rules. But instead, they just doubled down and made it super complicated again. And it's like, you know, we're past that time in this industry. That's a very five or six years ago sort of way of making this kind of game. This should have been an opportunity to move forward and turn this into a property that could attract new fans and be a part of the new conversation of role-playing games. So that, that's it. That's a, a very good and fair point. And it's funny because just even using Dungeons & Dragons as an example of this, it's weird how this kind of push toward more mainstream, more accessible tabletop playing has been greeted by those who indulge in tabletop more often. There are those out there who feel that the simpler you make a game, the less number crunching you have to do. It's almost like you're, you're cheating yourself out of an experience because they yeah. had to spend four days in a basement crafting their character. They feel like everybody yeah. should have to. Or do they, I mean, I agree that there is definitely that contingent, but there's also folks who just think that that is what's the fun part of it. And I don't mean to take that away from them. I'm not going to erase 
the games that already exist that mm-hmm. they can play like that. And much like, say, how Dark Souls certainly attracts a certain kind of player versus, you know, a Mario Kart or whatever, there's always going to be something for that market. It doesn't have to be everything. Oh, man. Combination. Combine them. Dark Souls cart. <laughs> Dark cart. Could you imagine? I like it. Oh, my God. Every time, every time you crash, you <laughs> have to leave Souls. a note. You just, you just start the whole no, wait, they, game over when you die. They made Mario Souls. It's called Super Mario Maker because every time you die, you see where everybody died before you in that level, along God. with various comments from everybody behind, just, which generally boils down to, God damn it, Ross O'Donovan. I just want Dark Souls now. Mario Kart. Just, 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 you can't even see the track. It's just darkness. <laughs> darkness, and you see random people joining your game sort of in the distance, but you can't interact. That sounds a lot like the Super Nintendo era Mario Kart ghost houses. <laughs> yeah. Which are as evil as a Dark Souls game. Easily. What were we talking about before I, I well, hijacked we... this? <laughs> we were back on the topic of tangents. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's, that's, it's, the it's... eternal microsode. Eh. It's all good. It's a package deal, right? But it, it sounds to me as though there are at least two or three different types of systems out there, depending on what kind of person you are. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some people who like to craft and spend an insane amount of time and be very methodical with calculations and get everything perfect. And then when they achieve something, like he was saying, like Dark Souls, like you feel so good that the time you've put in has made your character so great. And then you have other games where it's just like, where I will play the Pokemon tabletop and wing it and i don't know what's going on but it's a lot of fun and i don't care yeah. about calculations yeah. and you set me on fire yeah multiple times mm-hmm. why you set me on fire so much brandon it's fun okay it's a good time i, I got another i got another 8-bit theater question for you brian all right when you were writing those early strips were you familiar with the other meaning of the word twink <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes okay so I wanted to get that out there because I'm considerably less familiar with the RPG term, which I guess is some kind of munchkin uh, yes. thing. Is the twink and a munchkin the same thing? I believe so, yeah. Okay. I've got some people I can call and we can ask. <laughs> yeah, I'm we'll, not going to do that now. We'll get, we'll get Flame just, On on the phone and ask yeah, him if a twink and a munchkin is the same they thing. Have, there's two different names. They must mean two different things. Or somebody over at Dunkin' Donuts, they sell munchkins. Oh, God. But do they sell twinks? <laughs> they might. <laughs> Kaolis, Barry I, Joshua Westfall, thank you so, so much for contributing these microsode topics and getting us a chance to talk to brian about his past and about his role-playing opinions that are very intense and for giving him a chance to rediscover the genius that was himself really (laughs) i want to know about brian's life before 8-bit life before 8-bit that's what i want to know i want to know the real brian i want to know the household he grew up in i want to know how his pillow smelled (laughs) i want to know uh how he goes to the bathroom. Brandon, are you just trying to get more information so you can track him down? No, I'm good. I just wanted to know about his family and, you know, just normal Brian <laughs> they, stuff. They, they found the armoire. <laughs> <laughs> 8-bit tabletop game? I'm just kidding. I'm not uh, going there. That, that's pretty I much mean, any tabletop yeah, game, really. Yeah. Because anytime I have played a tabletop game, every single member of 8-bit theater shows up in some way, shape, or form. There's the person who wants to burn everything and is a terrible person. Is Jennifer. that me? I think that. Oh, there is the Andrew, person who yeah. is just dumb and hits things a lot. They these both sound like me. It's a fluid identity. Yeah, I love fluids. That was oh. one of my favorite recycled jokes, Jennifer. <laughs> Anyhow, microsodes, right? Well, these limited topics, we had a huge, huge backlog of them. And uh, as such, we've suspended new microsodes, and we're just working through what we've got. 
So we're uh, we're taking care of business and uh, every day, every day, every goddamn day, and every week that we're not putting out a topical episode, where we're talking about the latest happenings in the nerd world. We're probably doing something more specialized, like taking care of a microsode and talking about that. Or sometimes it even happens during our regular topical programs, like that one time we uh, we talked about the Deadpool movie before it came out. Those these things happen, so uh, expect microsodes when you least expect them. <laughs> It's about, like the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects a microsode. There's about 700 microsodes left we have to do, right? About 700. Okay. Yeah. We're, down, we're down to 698 now. Thank we you. just took care of two of them. Oh, we did two. That's right. I was tricked. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was on for one episode, guys, and you, you somehow segued into my wife's waiting home for me and my children are dying and I'm <laughs> sitting here in a room having the time of my life. It's impressive that you managed to, to have children die that you don't have. Oh, I've got children, Tony. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not mine, but I've got children. <laughs> I've got all the children, Tony. I was curious about what that door was beneath your sofa. Oh, that's my toilet. Oh. Where I keep my diapers. Can we, <laughs> can we please end this episode? I'm trying, man. <laughs> there's, there's a part here where Thief invents super ultra fine print. <laughs> it's just words inserted in between other words. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep recording oh. while he's just reading. Just leave it on all night. <laughs> I love it. I think, I think he can't. I think he's going to be stuck here for a very long time reading his work right now. It's pretty good. <laughs> it holds up. If you, if you played a dumb role playing game, this is it. Were you like, wow, man, I wish Atomic Robo is this funny? Ugh, man, if only. If you've gotten this far and you've never embraced 8 bit theater, well, you can find it via quick Google search or nuclearpower.com, but spelt wrong. Though if you spell it improperly, it might even come up. Google's weird that way. Mm. That happened to me multiple times, actually. Anyhow, Nerdy Show is an entirely listener-supported podcast network. So if you like this show, if you like the other shows we do, please consider supporting us. You can do it financially at nerdyshow.com slash support. We got a Patreon you can subscribe to. We got one-time donations. And you can also shop on Amazon via our links, and your purchases will, in turn, fund Nerdy Show at no extra cost to you. But... Another thing you can do that is a huge, huge, huge help for us is you can rate and review us on iTunes. If you go to iTunes, search for Nerdy Show. We got a feed for the entire network. We also got feed for just this show and just each individual other show we put out. Anything you want to do, if you can extend us a star rating, great. If you want to drop a review, even better. And uh, we'll read those on the show as new ones come in. I just came across Dick the Pirate. <laughs> I, I remember <laughs> Drizzle, the, the Dritz ripoff. Yeah. <laughs> Fighter steals his swords, and then after that point, he always forgets that Fighter stole his swords. God, I don't remember. I need to go back and read this. I don't remember any of this. <laughs> I'm not a super fan at all. I need, I need to go become one now with my diapers, because I, I don't remember is, most of this. Is pirates all have scurvy because it's been feeding them orange <laughs> things instead of oranges. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's so good. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. So ends the microsode. Thank you so much for listening. Taking us out is an arrangement of Nobuo Imatsu's original score for Final Fantasy. This is The First Story by Bonkers from Overclocked Remix's 2012 compilation Final Fantasy Random Encounter. Bye, I'm Cap. Goodbye, I'm Tony. Bye, I'm Brandon. I'm Trench. I'm still reading. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks for listening to Nerdy Show. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes or like and follow us on SoundCloud. Yay! As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other gnarly shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon, brah. Any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network, and there's even more totally tubular perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. You can give us, like, surfboard sponsorships or, like, craft beer sponsorships, you know, whatever. You can subscribe to all the Nerdy Show podcasts via iTunes or SoundCloud. And uh, you can leave a comment, like and share, follow Nerdy Show on all your favorite social networks like at Twitter, Instagram, that shit, Pinterest. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. If it's geeky, they've totally got it covered. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.